This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Anthemson. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Uh, today's show is with Matt Costa. You guys might know Matt from his insanely viral Instagram video about putting on a wetsuit from inside out, which I didn't even know that that was him until we finished the podcast and he referenced it. So I thought that was hilarious. But Matt is an incredibly smart individual, does work for the government, pretty top secret, really couldn't even talk about it too much. And his side project passion lately has been studying wave dynamics, how waves work. And he reached out after listening to one of the podcasts where we referenced downwinding and said he had a lot of insight into the mechanics physics of how waves are made and how it affects us what we should know as foilers and surfers and obviously i was super into it and this podcast a little over an hour i learned more about uh physics of waves than i have in you know, from a theoretical standpoint uh, in my whole life. So I hope that you guys get as much out of it as I did. And you can give Matt a follow on Instagram at Matt underscore coast, C-O-A-S-T. And yeah, super foil-brained, very smart dude. We've got a really cool string right now of podcasts. Cole, Matt, i got some other ones coming up where I think that uh, I've learned so much uh, in doing this show over the last, I mean, over the whole course of the show, but, uh, these last episodes have been amazing. So a couple notes before we dive in, just got my hands on the lift 120. When we recorded the show, it was about two weeks ago. Production time is taking a lot longer right now with the new, uh, way that I'm doing it. And I don't know if we want to optimize for production quality or if we'd rather have more shows, but it seems to be a limiting factor right now. It's taking about four times as much time. And so I get busy and then things get sidelined. So uh, maybe send me a DM and tell me what you guys want. If you want more ums and ands and, <laughs> or you just want more content, those things seem to be at, at, at odds with each other. But I got my hands on the Lyft 120. And when I opened it up, I didn't think it was something that I was going to be able to ride. I actually laughed. When I looked at it, I laughed. I showed uh, my wife and son Damo and I was like, I guess Damo, you got a new wing. But I was like, I'm going to give it a go. So I gave it a go and it pretty much blew my mind. The speed of pump, stall speed's super high. According to my watch, stall speed's for me at 190, 95 pounds with my wetsuit on. It's probably about nine and a half miles an hour. Uh, There's a couple waves. I, I had to change my takeoff. I've only ridden it twice in small surf, both times, really small surf. And I have to basically angle drops and pop up on the face of the wave and get a few pumps in to get up to a cruising speed. Because if I just take off and try to, you know, like bottom turn in the flats, I'm stalling out every time. But once at speed, it is the most efficient, fastest foil I've ever felt. And I cannot believe how it turns. You know, I have this ingrained, you know, model of how a high aspect wing turns and the delay and kind of the feedback it's always giving me. And the 120 
doesn't have any of that. It rolls over as fast as almost any surf wing I have felt. I need more sessions on it before I can give a full, I don't want to say review, but a, you know, a feel breakdown, but it is phenomenal and has really blown my mind and opened up my mind to what is going to be possible as we embrace um, the evolution that's happening in foiling. So just unreal. And if you get the chance to hop on it, I think you definitely should. Now, I will say that at my weight, it is not a beginner wing in any way, shape or form. Maybe if you're towing in on it, but for the prone game and smaller surf, it's very nuanced. You have to maintain speed the whole time, any bobbles and it's game over. So, you know, if you're newer to foiling, probably not. Don't run out and buy it. But if you're good pumping around and want to feel something that's completely different, I would order it up immediately. Um, and TJ from Big Winds hooked it up for me. Uh, so thank you, TJ. And they have them in stock right now. So hit up Big Winds if you guys want to test that out. My pup's coming to say hi. What's up, Mocha? Uh, so hit up Big Winds, uh, bigwinds.com, TJ, and um, tell him you want one and tell him you heard about it on the show. So he keeps sending me gear. Uh, so, and thank you, TJ. All right, guys, let's dive in with Matt. Hit me with questions, comments, feedback. I appreciate it. And I hope that everybody is out there crushing it, getting tons of water time. So be well. Matt, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you, brother? Oh, hey, good afternoon, everyone. I'm doing good. Really stoked to be here. So this came about because Matt reached out to me on Instagram and says that he has some very cool knowledge and something that we are all incredibly interested in, which is how waves are formed and work. And I thought this would be a great parallel to what we do on the progression project. And I'd be rad to have you on. So thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. How do you want to start this? I have a number of questions, but why don't you start by, I guess, give us some bio on you so we know who you are. And then we can dive into the uh, wave dynamics. Okay, sure. So I'm 26. I uh, live in California, kind of like in the Ventura area. I've been foiling for almost a year. I kind of got into it at the start of coronavirus. And I guess a funny story is I, I tried to put a foil on a bodyboard to start with. And <laughs> it awesome. was just impossible to mount it. Like... I used one of those sticky traction pads, whatever they're called, the track mounts, mm -hmm. and it just fell off and sank to the bottom of the ocean. But I had a leash, so I got lucky. And then I had just these crazy, like, in-between sheet metal idea, try to sandwich the foil on, and that was seriously dangerous. And then <laughs> one of my buddies sold me his old board, and ever since then, I've just been hooked. Can't get enough of it. Took all my surfboards out of my cars and replaced them with foils. And I guess I'm 5'8", 160 pounds. It's probably all important stuff. That is. And I love that you just brought it up because I usually have to awkwardly ask halfway through the interview. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that's all about me. And then, like I said, you know, I've read a ton of these books and it's really fun to just kind of put what you've learned in the, uh, what you've used to learn, you know, in the waves. You can see it there and it's really fun and maybe guys will think it's interesting too. 
I, I know I'm interested. So start us off. What's the best way to organize kind of our conversation today? Because you yeah, know, sure. Yeah. So I, I want to focus mostly on like where, where waves interact with shallow water. But let's start just a little bit in the generation okay. of waves. That'll be good for the downwinders too. I think there's some interesting, uh, I got some interesting stats for you guys. So basically like, you know, wind blows <laughs> and it creates waves. There's, it can get really complicated, but I think we all know that's where our waves come from. They can come pretty much from anywhere around the world. They can travel the whole entire ocean. But what's really important for generating swell is the fetch. That's kind of the distance that the wind is blown over, the duration, which is the, the time that the wind blew, and the intensity or the speed. So with those three things together, you can loosely forecast waves. So what I, a couple stats I got right here is if we got 18 knot wind blowing over a 10 mile fetch for two hours, we'll get a swell at two feet at three seconds. That's kind of, you know, a typical way we read buoys, the size okay. and the seconds. So, you know, that's pretty cool for our downwinders to know this stuff, right? And if it blows for four hours, our swell will get up to three feet at four seconds. And so we have 30 knot winds blowing for four hours over a 20 mile stretch. We'll have six feet at five seconds. And I don't know, you know, on Instagram, everybody posts their downwind speeds. And it's, I think they're kind of in the 20 to 30 knot, four to six hour wind period, wind range, right? I would guess. Yeah, they're doing crazy stuff over there on those downwinders. Looks pretty fun. Yeah, but can you talk about the speed of waves relative to the period? I read a Surfline yeah. article that I thought was fantastic about that, but it's it was a long time ago, and so it's probably all a little distant and foggy now. Yeah, of course. So the waves that come from wind, the restoring force is gravity. So basically a wave is falling water, and the uh, period is gonna have a direct impact on the speed. So I got a couple of stats. At, eight second sorry a wave with an eight second period mm -hmm. it's going to have a wavelength of about 334 feet and it's going to move just shy of like 20 miles an hour and again that's kind of what i'm thinking with the when i see these guys in hawaii and they're going 20 miles an hour it's because they're on an eight second swell so that's pretty cool to see it verified in the numbers and, and the wavelength is 334 feet for an eight second period swell that seems really far for an eight second period uh, okay so all of this is in theory right okay basically what i'm grabbing oh. from is a textbook and the theory is um called linear it's it's a linear wave basically mm -hmm. and what the important part of this to answer your question the speed of the wave is going to depend on depth so what i just gave you was deep water Okay. So deep water, eight second wave is going to be about 344 feet with a wavelength. Okay. A deep water wave at four seconds is about 80 feet. So you can see how it really starts to pinch together. And mm -hmm. then when it comes to shallow water, what really limits the speed is the depth. So the speed is equal to the square root of gravity times the depth. So even if you have a really fast wave, in open ocean swell, it's like a 20 second 
period swell is just really moving fast. Once it gets to that depth, it's just going to completely slow down to the same, the same speed that a 10 second period wave would. It just would slow down so much more dramatically. Yeah. I'm thinking back through all the different surf breaks that I have surfed. And I mean, it's obvious and every surfer knows this, but when you have those shallow reef breaks set up near deep water, there's so much more energy. And I mean, that's got to be because of the wave velocity, I would think, and lack of dissipation of, is, is there a force that dissipates waves as they start to slow down? Do they decrease in energy at the same time? I guess you would think they would since velocity is uh, a term in, in the force equation, right? What's the relationship there? Yeah, waves definitely do dissipate. I think, you know, as a surfer, the only thing we're really interested in the surf zone is kind of when the, uh, the wave turns to white water mm-hmm. and that white water is basically turbulence and turbulence across the board. It's turbulence is just a way to break down energy. You know, they have little eddies and other eddies inside of that to just kind of magically take the energy out of the wave. So when you're riding a wave, there is drag on the bottom. Absolutely. And there is an interaction, you know, with the air above it, but really most books from what I've read, they say it's pretty negligible. It's really just when the wave breaks, that energy is dissipated. Okay. Yeah. So I think it would be good if I could name like four parameters to describe a wave. Okay. Most of these are things you've heard. So we know wave height, that's, you know, the crest to the, to the trough. We got the period, which we've all heard, that's seconds from two, two similar points on a wave. So a crest to a crest measured in time. And then the wavelength, and that's in distance from one crest to the other. And then the direction that the wave is traveling. So with those uh, four parameters, you can really well describe waves. Keep just kind of like going through things and then we can have a conversation okay. about how, how waves interact and with different types of shorelines and in different situations. Yeah, sure. Sorry, there's just so much to talk about. No, so just, basically, keep, just keep dropping it. Yeah, okay. I'll do my best. Here we go. So basically, if you guys remember back in, in high school days when you learned about sin, sinusoidal waves, where it's kind of just really symmetrical the crest to the trough that's the the prox that's the approximation that is used in this theory that i'm talking about today and if you're thinking about well that's kind of crazy because i've never seen a wave really look that symmetrical you're kind of right absolutely but over and over again the forecasting teams they use this theory and it's actually pretty right correct so one really cool thing about if you can visualize a sinusoid moving along the ocean is say you're like a buoy out in the ocean or you know just something floating yourself and the wave comes right before the wave comes to you you're going to kind of get it get sucked towards the wave right and then you're going to get pushed up with the crest forward towards the beach and then down after the wave passes you and this is super crucial. I think it's really crucial to, the, to us spoilers because what I just described is an orbit. When we're out in the water, we've made an orbit and that orbit is proportional to the wave height. So these orbits go all the way from the surface to, I don't want to say the bottom of the ocean, but they go deep. They go 
half um, half of the wavelength. So for that example where I gave 300 foot wavelength, that wave would start to feel the bottom at about 150 feet. Wow. So all those orbits at the top, you know, if it's a two foot wave, you're going two foot orbits with a radius of two feet. But as you move down, those orbits get smaller and smaller. And uh, let's see where am I going to go from here. So okay, it's not so a single, let, let me just stop you here for a second so I can visualize this. It's not a single orbit that's going down to the max depth at the bottom. It is a series stacked on top of each other. So really there's waves. Are they all the same size or do they get smaller as you go down? Is the first one on the surface yeah. the biggest orbit and then it's some factor smaller each time and then at the bottom Correct. there's smaller or orbits? Yeah, it has to, it goes down um, exponentially. Okay. And yeah, the one at the top is the biggest, and then from there they go smaller. And I, I hope the key point you're catching of all this is that orbit, when we're foiling, the force that's keeping us up, there's something pushing us up, right? So really, the, the orbit going upwards on the face of the wave is kind of really what's pushing us up. Would you agree with that? When you foil, you kind of feel yeah. that water really surging up. Yep. Yep. And yeah. And my wife has actually been, it's really interesting because we have a lot of pelicans that foil <laughs> and connect waves out back while we're foiling, especially when we get kind of like a gentle offshore breeze, the, mm -hmm. the pelicans basically run the same exact lines that we'll run foiling, connecting waves down the beach. And I just started watching videos of the paper airplane gliders when you follow them have you ever seen this with like a, a sheet of cardboard or something and you can essentially recreate the push from the wave on the gliders and, and have like a perpetual glider whoa no i haven't that sounds I, cool <laughs> if you haven't seen it you should youtube it and it's fantastic because it's essentially exactly how a pelican flies which from what you're saying and what i feel is also the way that we fly when we're on the face of a wave oh i kind of see what you're saying yeah absolutely yeah, we're just kind of staying in that sweet spot and that water just keeps on rising on us. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the particle, um, hearing about these particles, and again, just think of the ocean full of these particles. That, that was like a really cool connection eye-opener for me. And uh, so now that we have an idea of basically what a wave is, you know, like one sinusoid, the coolest thing, in my opinion, of like all of this ocean wave stuff is adding waves together. You've, I'm sure you've heard of it, like constructive interference, right? No, I haven't. Okay. So basically like if there's a wave going, propagating in some direction, and there's another wave that's the same height propagating in the same direction, those waves can add on top of each other. So if you have a two foot swell, say at a 10 seconds and then you have a three foot swell uh, whatever you know 15 seconds at some point in time their phases are going to meet up and there's going to be a five foot there's going to be an elevation of five feet does that make sense yep it does yeah so that's that's the cool thing about linear wave theory you can just keep adding up all these waves so in the generation area that we were talking about with all the wind the fetch the speed it's absolutely crazy I think everybody knows that who's, you know, been in the wind, there's just all these chops everywhere. So the cool thing is all these chops have different periods. They have different heights and they're all traveling in different. 
putting all of those together with the linear wave theory I'm talking about, where you can add waves on tops of waves, they all propagate and add upon each other and make these really cool formations that we're able to surf. And as time goes on, as they kind of go out of their generation zone, you can think of it maybe like, like, like a motocross start. Think of like 500 people, 500 bikes along a line. And at the start, you know, the gate drops, they all go out and it's just totally chaotic. Nobody's beating anybody. You can't say who's fast or not. But then, you know, after say 30 minutes, you notice there's different groups of riders, right? So maybe out in the front, there's just five guys who are absolutely killing it. And they're way out in front of everybody. Then behind them, there's the next group. And then there's the next group. And, you know, somewhere in the middle, there's that pack of riders that they're all going about the same speed. They're all kind of spaced the same way out. So that's kind of how it swell generates once it leaves the area. And that's why you see, I'm thinking about, you know, I lived in Costa Rica for a long time and there we always got long period swell, especially South Hemi, uh, long period swell. And it would always start off with the front runners, you know, 20 seconds. And then the next day, you know, it's 18, 16 seconds, and then 15 seconds, and then 14 seconds, the degrading of the period of the wave. And as I guess I'm, I'm just kind of extrapolating from what you just said there, as the groupings are paired off and the faster ones are in the front, that's why you see the longer period first. And then the swell fills in. There's more, it's more frequent waves as you start getting into that 15, 14 second period. And then as it dissipates, you see the trailing smaller waves. Is, is that a good way to look at that? Oh, you said it better than I did. <laughs> Absolutely. You killed it. You know, every spot's got its like little, you know, quirks. It depends on the wind, but most cases, what I was trying to say, absolutely, you, you totally killed it. It's those fast waves are going to reach out first, then you're going to have the majority of the energy, and then you're going to have the kind of the trailing waves. And what I'd also like to say about like reading buoys, it's as kind of like I'm saying, it's pretty chaotic. It's kind of like that dirt bike start, right? To summarize all of that, what the buoys are doing, they're applying statistics. So when you read a buoy, you know, most of the time we get like a direction, we get a height and uh, a period. And, and a so, swell period and a windswell period from all the buoys that I read. So you have both coming in. I use the buoys to track, you know, the windswell generation and then the underlying longer period swell as it's forming. You can usually see both on our buoys here. Maybe oh, can ab incorporate absolutely. That. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so cool. So exactly. You're getting to the point, you know, there can be multiple swells in the water. Some of them are just wind waves, some of them really long period waves, but, you know, statistically speaking, say we got a buoy that's, you know, I'm in California. It's a 22nd period South swell. And those waves are starting to show up. Basically the buoy just bobs up and down. It samples close to like every half a second. And it just gets the displacement. And there's some algorithms. Surfline has their own, I think. Scripps and EBC, they have their own. And basically, they're counting like the top one-third average of the wave heights. So they, they basically just count that buoy. So what I'm trying to say is, even in the swell that the buoy says is like four feet at 20, that's a pretty big swell, I guess, whatever, four feet at 20, 
there could be, there's not just four foot waves in those sets, right? It's an average. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. But then, do, you, do you know how a buoy works? Yeah, just not, I mean, not, I couldn't answer that too precisely. I mean, they just bob up and down and they have displacement. There's a excel, there's an accelerometer on it. Okay. That's what just, I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And to get the periods from the waves actually isn't too hard, you know, cause there's, like I said, it's just waves adding on waves. So there's a couple algorithms you can even run in Excel. It's kind of fun if you can get the, the buoy data and then finding directions pretty hard. And overall it's a hard task. I mean, you know, Surfline, when I see like their breakdowns of the swells, most of the time they're on it. They, they do get like up to the three or four swells that are in the water, but sometimes it's like kind of funky. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen that with your buoys too, where they got it, but sometimes they don't. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting was where we lived in Nassar, Costa Rica, there are no buoys near us. So they're using buoy data from, what is it, Chile and I guess I think there's one off of Panama to guess what we're going to get. And over some time, I don't know if you know who Austin, I think his name was Austin Grendon. I hired, I had a surf report down there and I actually brought him on. He was a surf forecaster for not Magic Seaweed, the other one at the time. And he, we worked together to improve the model for our coastline. And it was really cool. Yeah, it was rad. So like he would tell me what the buoys were saying every day and I'd give him a feedback of our report. We did this for, I don't know, almost a year. And Mm -hmm. we found that there were certain swells that wouldn't get called, especially North swell. Surfline picked it up in the last year or two, but I had two or three years. I didn't share with anybody (laughs) what I learned about the North swells because they're our best swells. And Costa Rica. I was on the Pacific, a little south of Tamarindo. Okay, cool, cool. And the North Swells were by far our best barrel sessions. And so I had insider information for two or three years on when the North Swells would hit because they never got called for us. And then Surfline updated and then Magic Seaweed updated. And now they they get them fairly right. But we found that the trend of what angle the Hawaii Swells would have to come from. And then we got pretty precise with timing based on period. And that was a special couple of years. Now we can figure out how it's scoring all the time. How cool. Yeah, yeah. We're pretty lucky to live uh, in 2021 with all the buoys, you know, especially in, you know, California. There's like like five, six buoys just right on the channel, like right next to me. And they're, you know, such good point of reference. It's pretty fun. How do you use the information? I mean, I guess it depends what spot, you know, so buoys definitely you know, the ones we're interested in will display, you know, the swell, but they'll also display the wind. So I'll definitely use the wind on it. You know, we, we have the channel between the islands and the mainland, and it can just get so windy out there sometimes, really often, actually. So, you know, sometimes we'll be blowing like 25 knots and glassy here, but we'll be getting all that wind swell that just got blown off there. So that's basically how I use the buoys for wind and then swell. For the most part, I put faith in them. And, you know, every, every spot has its, have its, has its perfect direction. That's it, I guess. Yeah. And being able to track those wind swells, especially the closer distanced wind swells is so important for a foiler. Oh, absolutely. Cause, cause again, you know, that uh, wind comes up 
and it it's generated right where you're trying to downwind or whatever and you know how are you going to really accurately measure that you know the wind's not the same speed or direction the whole way through the fetch and then you know the swells constantly growing and the buoys basically only report every half hour and it's yeah it, it absolutely i agree it's really tricky that's rad all right so i'm sorry that i pushed you off of the uh, your points but, but but go back to it this is great i'm learning a lot okay cool so yeah i think we were talking about adding waves together or something mm-hmm. and i guess yeah the big takeaways you can add swells on top of swells and that's how waves generate and i think it's so hard to imagine you, you really have to see a video of it but like i was saying imagine one wave propagating at a speed and another wave creeping up behind it at some point, that one wave in the back is going to pass the wave in the front and it's going to add on to it. So when you're downwinding, you can see it all the time. And if you haven't experienced it, you need to. It's the craziest thing as a surfer. This is called dispersion. All the, all the different periods, wavelengths, whatever you want to call them, they're dispersing. And when you're downwinding, you'll be riding a wave and you'll be going so fast, you'll be on you know the steep part of it and you're like there's no way this wave's gonna outrun me and then all of a sudden it's gone that basically what's happening there is you're on a wave came behind it and then a wave passed you and all of a sudden you're in a trough and you better not fall in the middle of the sea if you know what i mean yeah yeah i you know i was asking dave kalama some tips for downwinding a couple weeks ago and he was talking about something very similar which tell me if this is the same principle, but that as the waves are moving through the ocean, the you want to get on the last bump of, of the set of windswell because that wave will move itself to the front and the front waves will drop off and stack up behind it again. And he said that you need to look to see when there's no more waves in front of you and that's the time you exit and basically pump to the back of the set of the, again and then connect, and then you can ride through the the whole set again. And basically, it's a sequence of doing that over and over again, where you're, you need to be aware of where you are in the five wave or six wave or three wave windswell set. And as you're getting close to the front, you need to start looking for your exit because that wave is about to dissipate. Wow, that is some next level wizard shit right there. <laughs> that is awesome. No, because what, what I'm double tripping on is because that's so that's exactly what is happening he is riding the energy so again it's so hard to envision but like i said that wave you're on it passes you kind of a thing mm-hmm. that, that that max height is going to keep repeating itself down the line between those two waves there's going to be another kind of sequence of waves from the interaction of those two waves and basically you know there's the group energy and then the individual wave energy uh, sorry, the group speed and the individual wave speed. So what Diff Kwam is talking about, he's riding the energy going through the packet of waves, which is, that that's so cool. He's nailed it. And you know, I haven't done too much downwinding. I haven't even thought about that. When I go downwinding, I'm just trying not to fall. And you know, it's so hard to try not to die. <laughs> so yeah, the, the fact that he's found uh, group velocity, that's awesome. That's so cool. That's rad. He's yeah. coming back so, on soon. That'll be fun to talk to him about. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell them, tell them to talk more about downwind. I want to, I need to learn how to start. I went out the other day and the wind just died on me. It went completely glassy and I'm just sitting in the ocean on five foot four board couldn't get started at all. I tried to use this technique. I saw a video from on YouTube with like these hand paddle things. Yep. And he went on his knees and just paddled into a bump. Like it was nothing. And it didn't work for me. Yeah. I went out there, I went glassy and then I made a five mile paddle all by myself in oh, the cold man. water. And it wasn't, it wasn't oh, nice. That's tough. That sounds yeah. like some of my winging sessions. Oh yeah. How, how has that been going for you? You know, it's been cold for the last month and there's been a lot of good surf days. So I've been opting to just prone foil in the last month, but I'm excited to actually, I think this weekend could be good. I think tomorrow we might get some wind and hopefully it's not too cold. Yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of how it is in California too. I mean, it just, you destroy your ears with all that cold wind. For all the yeah. Hawaii guys or anybody that lives where it's just warm all the time, California people, we like just always have this constant cold breeze coming off a cold ocean. And that wind, even if you're wearing earplugs, will make your ear so cold that it grows a bone, I guess. And almost, you know, a lot of surfers in California, they, they have to get a surgery because of it. So for those Hawaii guys that have no idea what we're talking about, the cold is, it's the real deal. It, cold and wind is just horrible for you. I've tried to go a couple of days when it's cold and my hands just get ruined and I don't have gloves. That's the problem. It's just my hands are basically frozen on the wing. It doesn't oh, have to really? be that cold. My buddy who I kite or who kites all the time, who I wing with and foil with, he says 55 degrees is the cutoff for water or air? air for your hands. Oof, brutal. Yeah, that's, that's his go. No, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah, so now that we're talking about energy, I know I've, I've heard you talk about the lift equation a lot. I know you like having your equations, so I, I got a good one for you. It's just the only one I know, so I reference all it all right. the time. Well, we'll add this <laughs> one to your list. This is a good one right here. So basically, it's crazy. You'd, you'd think a wave with a longer period, it's like moving faster, would be have more energy. But really, According to this theory, right, you know, this is all in theory, energy is equal to the density of the water times gravity times the height squared times the length. That's basically what it's proportional to. So really, you know, with waves being gravity waves, you know, they're restoring forces gravity. What really energy is just the, the column of water that's been raised vertically. So I don't know, maybe that's a cool equation or not. So if we think about that, break it down for a second. The height is the squared term. So in, in foiling lift velocity is the squared term. That's why as we're going faster, we can ride smaller wings, almost exponentially smaller in force of waves. It's the height. So a 10 foot wave at five seconds would be, have more power than a five foot wave at 10 seconds. Is that accurate? Well, there's an L there for a wavelength. So it's H squared. Oh, so it's times wavelength. L. So not generally. Period. Okay. Yeah, but they're kind of related. You know what I mean? They're okay. They're extremely related. You know, the longer the period, the longer the wavelength across the board. Is the so, wavelength an exponential function as well? Is a one second period wave 
is it a squared term going from one second to two second in, in wavelength? No, you, you can't do it linearly like that. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's an equation for it. It's not too insane, but yeah, it, it's not like straight across the board. And so I think that's pretty cool. You know, if you think about we're riding these waves that are absolutely tiny and seem gutless, but if you really, you know, kind of plug in those numbers and, you know, play around with it, there's a freaky amount of energy in a wave, so much freaking energy. And when you look at it from that point and not just one wave, but all the ways we connect, it's, it's like, of course, yeah, we're able to fly five people on one wave and act like it's nothing. You know, the, like, I guess, of, according to a stat I found, you know, four feet at 10 seconds, one of those waves across a mile of coast will generate 35,000 horsepower. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What's so that in it's, electricity? it's pretty cool. I, don't know. I didn't, I didn't do that over, but there's another stat that's kind of relevant to that in one year, like all the wave action on our coast that would account for 64% of the electricity generated by the U S when you say your coast, you mean like the local beach there? Oh, the United States, the United States coast. Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, all of the wave energy of the United States coast would generate 64% of the U S power. It could, you know, it's, that's like in theory, it's not generating energy, but like, honestly, me too. I think it's got to do with, they're just talking about the coast and not, you know, like out to sea, perhaps, I don't know. Yeah. I, I would think it'd be a little bit more, but then maybe again, it has to do with hydro electric power generation power factor. This is good. Absolutely. We're getting in the weeds on this one. I like it. I hope people are going to hang in there because there's a lot of meat here. Okay. Yeah. I hope so. You know, there's just so much to talk about. I don't want to bore anybody or anything, but yes, yeah, so that's basically energy. You should think of energy as the ability to do something and it's got height in its equation and wavelength in its equation. So each of those will increase the energy. And where was I going to go next? Yeah, so the, the waves, we're still in deep water, right? We haven't gotten to our shallow water cases. We were kind of talking about downwinding. So the waves kind of are dispersing. They're kind of picking, piggybacking over each other. Or, you know, the, the motocross racer that's gone around the track and now lapping the slow guy again something like that. Right. Those are dispersive waves. But when a wave gets to the shoreline, they become non-dispersive. And that's where like you call it a shallow, yeah, excuse me, shallow water wave. So a shallow water wave will be where the depth is half of the wavelength. So you know, a wave that's 20 seconds period will become a shallow water wave a lot sooner before a wave um, that's say four seconds in period. So that, that 20 second period swell is going to feel the bottom of the ocean way sooner out to further out to sea in a further depth than the four second. And that's where those particles that I was talking about come into play, because remember those particles extend about half the wavelength down. So you got all that motion going and all of a sudden now it's starting to hit the bottom. And from here, is where all the cool things start to happen. You know, we got waves come in and they start to hit the shoreline and shoaling happens. And shoaling is kind of 
basically like, you know, the start of the wave goes and then it starts to go slow, but the tail end is still going so fast that it catches up to the slow end in distance and it starts to build up higher. That's why we get our waves shoal and increase in height as they approach the as approach, as they approach the beach. Yeah, so that's shoaling. Where was I gonna go next? Shoot, I thought I forgot where I was gonna go. Any questions okay. on shoaling? So one thing about shoaling and mm-hmm. that I think is so interesting, and I like I, I really love looking at aerial photography of coastline during swell. Totally. And I, I love to see how the waves wrap and slow down. There's this beautiful picture of uh, cloud break. There's a wave that I love to surf in Costa Rica called Playa Escondida, where the reef breaks and the waves bend. You know, it slows down so much where it's peaking and then the energy stacks up, you know, because it runs along the uh, the wave to the slowest part as it's stacking up and the waves bend so like the playa escondida it's an a-frame reef and mm. when you're paddling out from the right it's almost like you're looking the, the left and the right are are probably at i don't know like a 100 degree angle from each other in the way that they're breaking but as the wave comes in you know it's all one swell moving in a straight line and then as it slows down they both start wrapping and really wrap around or in cloud break where you take off you know the angle that you finish that wave at is is such a, a greater angle than where you take off it so you're basically surfing the bulls coming at you the whole time which is what that those great setups are is when the bulls coming at you i just think it's so cool totally. to visualize i think that's shoaling in motion you're seeing the effect of the bottom on the wave and how it's playing out in a, a breaking situation over distance. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, shoaling is gonna be, specifically shoaling is kind of just where the energy bunches. That wave that was spread over that wavelength, say 300 feet, it gets way bunched down into something shorter. And then since it became shorter, that height had to go somewhere. So mm-hmm. the height increases. So think of shoaling just as height, and then refraction is what you're talking about where the waves wrap. So basically, we're, what we're saying is the speed of the wave depends solely on the depth. So if you have a wave coming in, just say it's normal to the beach, coming in perpendicularly to the beach, but there's some weird you know, canyon off to the side or some really big deep spot. When that wave comes in, one side of the wave is going to hit that shallow spot and go super slow. It's going to go really fast. And then all of a sudden it's just going to not stop in its place, you know, stop in its place. And then on the deep spot, it's still just going to haul butt. So, you know, think about, I heard a a pretty funny uh, example of this Think about pushing, you know, the lawnmower, one side of the wheels are on the grass and the other side of the wheels are on the, the cement. Those wheels on the side of the grass go so much slower, you know, by friction or whatever it is than the wheels on the cement. So when you're pushing, that lawnmower just completely turns into the grass, or in our case, into the shallow water, just like you were saying at, at your reef. So in, in fin, like the waves are always going to tend towards shallow water, always. And that's refraction right there. Yeah. So why is it then that the peak is bigger than the shoulder? If you're not, the way that I understand it in mm-hmm. practice, what, what I've seen is that as it slows down, the wave energy starts bunching up and pushing down the line towards where it's slower as it's growing. And that's why shoulders are smaller than 
the peak of a wave. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So that one wave that came in, you like really start to think of it as an infinite amount of waves within that wave. So as it's coming out to sea, imagine like a bird's eye view. You're looking down at any point along that line of the wave. And, you know, in deep water, it's not affected by the bottom, right? So it's basically all going about the same direction. But the second you approach, you know, a bathymetry with different water depths, as you're looking above each one of those points along the line on that wave, they're going to have new directions because of the water depth. What I was saying is from a bird's eye view, as you're watching that wave come in, that line going towards the shore, that line is going to go over different depths. And each one of those depths is going to give that singular point as a wave a new direction. So when you're saying, you know, on a certain reef, it's like it kind of like it wraps all the way around. Absolutely. So that, that one wave that came in, say, from 270 degrees also is going to have another wave in it that's coming from, you know, 240, from 300, just absolutely. There's an infinite amount of waves everywhere, and they're just always changing. And that's basically refraction. Refraction is, you know, the coolest thing in the world for surfers. It's kind of the only point in surfing, because other than that, we'd just be going straight the whole time. You know, all these good point breaks have interesting bottoms. You know, they have something that makes them turn, makes them get bigger. And generally refraction along most beaches, imagine like a nice flat beach, like say Huntington, it's going to kind of wall it out and maybe even decrease the size. But if you have just the right bottom, where instead of spreading out the wave energy, it can actually focus it and make it bigger like you're talking. So no, nothing too crazy there, but, you know, refraction is absolutely what every, every surfer dreams of. And yeah, sorry. I was just going to say those waves that bend at you are so special. Ab absolutely. Gotta love them. <laughs> and um, yeah, so as a wave approaches the shore, those are a couple of things that happen. That sinusoidal shape that I was talking about in the beginning, that's kind of symmetric about the x-axis, right? It's got a really big trough in it, which isn't really too normal. So that trough is going to kind of flatten out and it, the energy is going to go more towards the crest. And then other things that can happen as it's coming into the shoreline, there's diffraction and reflection, which are kind of similar to refraction, but not really. I read in a book, like the best way to think about diffraction is like you send a wave to a location say like behind a jetty. Most examples of diffraction is like a wave going straight towards a seawall. And then half of the wave, you know, kind of passes the seawall. And then all of a sudden there's this leeward side of the seawall. So just to the, say, right of the seawall, you know, there's the wave, but to the left, there's nothing. But as time goes on, you know, that wave has got to do something. You know, it is going to spread out. It's kind of, kind of radially spread out into that leeward side of the seawall. So that's diffraction. It's going to kind of get sent somewhere. And then from there, it's going to have directions. And this can be in deep water, you know, so without the reflective diffraction. And the reflection, we see this a lot, you know, at wedges off jetties. Basically, a wave is going to come in. It's going to bend towards the jetty with refraction. But then once it hits the jetty, it's going to be called reflection. 
And that reflection is going to be, it's going to propagate off at the angle of incidence. So if you have a jetty coming off and a swell coming at it, you know, 15 degrees into the, away from the jetty, it's going to propagate off 15 degrees from the jetty. And uh, so those are some cool things when they reach the shore. Other really cool things that we don't really notice, maybe as foils we actually do, is currents can also refract waves. So if you have a, a current going, you know, opposing a swell, it's going to do the same exact thing that I was talking about, like with the lawnmower. That one side of the swell, because it's being pushed opposite direction of the, it's pushing opposite direction of the swell, it's going to move slower than the other point of the swell and therefore it's going to kind of turn and also with that so not only it can you know refract it but the current can also add energy into the wave or take it away so if a current's going straight at incoming swell that current's going to slow down the wave speed it's going to increase the sorry decrease the wavelength and increase the height and if you run the current with the swell, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to expand the wavelength. It's going to decrease the height and so on and so forth. Have you noticed any of those before? Sometimes I see them most on the shoreline in like those little two foot wave, like two, two inch waves that just kind of ripple along the sandbar. Have you seen uh, that? Yeah, I've been mind surfing those waves all my life. Yeah, ab absolutely. So there's so much cool stuff that happens there. And then basically we're kind of at the end of a life cycle of a wave. And, you know, that, like we were saying, that wave hits the shallow water, all that energy bunches up. That particle that I keep mentioning, that has a speed that's, you know, proportional to the wave height. So as waves go on shore, that particle velocity is increasing, that wave speed is decreasing. and the particle velocity moves faster than the wave speed and the wave ends up breaking. And that's basically a quick lifespan of a uh, generation to breaking of a wave. That was epic. My mind is um, kind of quiet right now because I'm breaking all of this down. It's going to take me a little while to process everything I just learned right there. <laughs> and now how yeah, do you sure. take this information and apply it? in say foiling in foiling oof well i think it's really helped me figure out where the 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 wedge is going to be you know so i was out this morning at this one reef that you know it's kind of like the a-frame reef you're talking about and instead of seeing oh here's a wave coming in from this direction i see the wall on it i try to immediately look at that wave divide it up in all these little sections and say okay, where's the information from this section of the wave going? And then as it approaches shore, I keep doing that. So as the wave's coming in, I see, oh, on the left, this thing's really just starting to wedge up from this way. And then, oh, on the right, we have another wave that's wedging from this way. The center, it's kind of going the other way. And you can kind of just see where it's going to go when you think about all three waves and you want to connect them in phase so you can catch them. If that makes sense. I mean, every, I think every surfer does this who's been surfing enough, but it's just kind of fun to think, oh, there is theory that does support this, that in that one wave, there's an infinite amount of waves. Yeah, that's something I've always done too, is 
break up waves into segments. And in foiling, because you do not need, I mean, I spent what, 20 years as a short border, whatever it was, and mm -hmm. analyzing waves in that mindset. My mindset is very different now when I look at energy and the ocean. I look at energy now, I look at, at I don't look at waves. I think that's a good way to explain it. I, when I look at the ocean, I'm looking at the ocean right now as we're talking, and it's onshore to probably about 15 miles an hour. It's probably about five second period and about two feet. And in an ocean like this, I see endless energy. And I get really excited about it. Where before, as a surfer, I don't see any energy in the ocean right now. You know, it's it, <clears throat> at best, it's knee high and super bushy. But yeah, totally. It, it's also interesting now when I look at the ocean that I appreciate the stacked up short period energy so much more. It just, there's so many more places to play. And mm -hmm. I would take a, three foot at five second day over five foot at 15 second day on a foil. I think most, unless I was, I had a toe or something, but just because there's just so much more distance in between all of the little skate ramps that I want to hit. I like having all that constant energy everywhere. I think it's so much fun to play with. Totally. I'm, I'm so jealous of the swells you, you get there. I mean, here, Said yeah, no one I mean, ever about Florida. <laughs> absolutely. No, the, the shore runners you look, you do look absolutely incredible. Yeah, the wave just kind of stands up the whole way. It doesn't really break until it breaks. You know, you get a lot of time to really hit the lip without it breaking. You know, yeah. that's a really important thing in foiling. It's like a lot of the waves around here, you know, they kind of come in and then all of a sudden they break. And to really nail that wraparound, you know, like when you connect a wave, it's it's kind of frustrating because it's like you got to be so good to hit the right spot but it, you know if you go to somewhere else it's just always standing up nice and vertical and there's just always this opportunity to hit it and especially when it's at like you said five six seconds period the wavelength is so short so when you're pumping back out it's what like two three pumps and you're ready to hit another wave head on yeah i mean with some of the new foils i'm riding i don't have to pump in between waves if I kick out with speed, I can just coast into the next connection, which is a really crazy feeling. Yeah, I've been playing with that a bunch. I, I went out this morning and yeah, I, I kind of just tried to see how long I could go out the back of a wave without having to pump. And I mean, if you're really trying to do a long ride, that's got to be a good way to save a lot of energy, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's also just really fun to because it's more about the game than it is about the athleticism or technique, essentially, I guess technique is important, but I think that's what I like about short period foiling so much is that it's kind of like you're playing wave chess or some mm -hmm. strategy game where you're just, you're seeing, it's about seeing the board a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm so jealous. I need to get over there. <laughs> I'm to Florida. People have been coming to Florida yeah. to foil, which is hilarious to me, but it's People actually really good here. Did you say people have been? Yeah, people have been coming to, to Florida to foil. Wow, how cool. Which cracks me up a little bit, but it's really good here for that, you know, for the small wave stuff. It's really fun. Yeah, absolutely. You're scoring. <laughs> and there's and nothing's crowded because it's just all just empty beach breaks. So no one even cares. You know, you never oh wow. I, I never ride with a leash because I'm never around anybody. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I've 
I got into straps and honestly, I'm pretty comfortable with the straps, but the one thing that gets me is my back foot with the, the leash. So when I go to put my back foot in the hole, the leash just totally blocks my foot sometimes. So I'm, mm. I'm totally jealous. I'd, I'd love to not have to wear a leash out there. <laughs> It'd be awesome. <clears throat> Sorry. I was going to say, you got to find spots that are just bad enough where there's no one else. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about California. You know, like I bought a foil, you know, you see all these Kyleni videos of him just talking about the world as a whole new surf spot. You can surf anything, but it's kind of not true in California. I don't, I don't know. We have like a bunch of walled out beach breaks that are just super hard to catch in foil. And then we got a couple of really long point breaks that are mushy and just like a foiler's dream. But you know, then you get all the people that are learning how to surf and it's just all of a sudden you see, you know, this foil that was sold as, Oh, avoid crowds. You can surf anything. And you're just like, Oh shoot. I only have one spot to surf. You know, at least, at least that's how it is in California. And it's, it's really sad. Sometimes we have guys in our crew that just, they show up and it's so crowded. They turn around and go home. There's just nowhere else to go. And they turn oh, around and man. go home. Yeah. So you got a good, you got a pretty good. That's hilarious to think that where we live is good for a surf sport, but it is pretty rad. Oh, I had one other PSA and I'm going to do this right in the middle. So, so I've got two PSAs real quick that I've been meaning to talk about on the show and I'm just going to do them real quick. Number one, always wear a leash if you're around people. Yeah. Just because absolutely. I've been out in some situations where people on foils didn't have a clue what they were doing, didn't have leashes on and it was incredibly dangerous. And I end up being the bad guy saying something and I feel bad being the bad guy, but I'd rather do that than have somebody get hurt. And then the other well, one, you know, is, what? let me jump in real quick. Sorry. Yeah. I, there's been a lot of talk about this, you know, amongst, amongst all surfers, not even just spoilers, you know, cause with the quote unquote COVID-19 surge of surfers, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I was, I was yelled at when I was a Grom and like, I, I kept an open mind about it and, at the end of the day, like the guy that was yelling at me was right. Like, for example, like, you know, we were surfing this wedgie left and I was paddling over the shoulder and I wasn't really paddling as fast as I could. And, you know, when he came around, paddled back up to me, he's like, Grom, you need to paddle faster. Like your life depends on it or I'll take you out. And, you know, ever since he said that, it kind of stuck with me. And like, I, I don't hold anything against that guy. Like, honestly, I kind of thank him. <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to inspire anybody to go out and be like, a horrible local because you know those exist but i think if you're constructionally constructively doing it i, I kind of support it yeah i think i don't think it's too bad you know i kind of agree with you there too we were just having a conversation i'm in a foil group of a bunch of guys where i used to live down in costa rica and the beach where i lived has become incredibly popular for surf schools and mm -hmm. the surf school instructors are taking people out and pushing them in front of other people <laughs> riding waves, but then they'll yell if you drop in on their student. And it's just such a different way to learn surfing because the folks who are just paying a bunch of money to learn surfing and I've coached surfing. So, you know, not in that same fashion, but it's, you're paying to get access to something that people have spent a long time earning their place to do. And it's a yeah. scarce resource. It's not like the, It's not like I would show up in, I don't know, some city and, and jump out on a basketball court that's full where people are playing a game and just start shooting hoops. You know, I'd get yelled at. 
I think it's absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I think it's a similar situation and I think you have to pay your dues. I mean, I think it's one of the good things about surfing is that there's a pecking order that people who spend more time doing it and get more proficient and better are going to catch the better, best waves. And I'm in favor of it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree. You know, just being the better surfer, you know, if you've done it longer, you're just going to know where to sit. You're going to learn yeah. how to read the lineup. So automatically you'll get more waves. And yeah, overall it's, you know, you, you want the world to be all happy and, you know, not like a pecking order, not a big bad person you know controlling the lineup but as horrible as it sounds it's kind of good in some cases and people need to be aware of it you know what i mean like some i was out at this one spot called mondo's and i'm trying to get out to the shoulder of the wave there's this guy with his buddy and they both burn another guy they're on longboards by the way and he sandwiches me in between his buddy and the guy he burns and he comes right at me with his board (laughs) and like i didn't get hurt but you know he hit me and you know, I was kind of like you right now where it's like, oh, should I say something? I was like, I did. I was like, dude, I, I got a foil, man. Like, you're going to you're going to get hurt. Like, don't do that. And he was like, maybe you should go sit off to the side. And I was just like, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, my God. Like, he, he just has no idea. Like, you know, if I were to say that to somebody like, like, you know, one of these California surf spots, like you'd be your face would be smashed in my your board would get flipped over and you get holes in it, you know, like. My, yeah, it blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my other PSA real quick while I'm saying this is everybody who's listening to the show knows that I'm a huge fan of the Takuma Kajira foils. Mm. And I think they're amazing. But, <laughs> my big but, I think they're gets. really dangerous. And I and immediately when I got mine, I sanded my tips way down. You guys have heard me say that. And since I've mentioned on the show that I've sanded my tips and I think they're dangerous a little bit, folks have started sending me pictures that they don't want shared anywhere of people getting really hurt from the tips on the Kajira. And I just like to say, if you're riding one of those, really consider sanding your tips down. I noticed no performance difference whatsoever <laughs> sanding down probably half or maybe a little bit more than half the tips and rounding them off, smoothing out the edges. I even did it to my trailing edge, the back of the foil and the mast a little bit. Didn't notice any difference. Maybe I lost a percent of efficiency. I don't know, but I'll take it because my buddy got a bad cut and people have been sending me pictures. I've, I've cut my wetsuit a couple of times. After the second time <laughs> I cut my wetsuit that I was like, this is ridiculous. And I sanded mine down. So I just don't want someone to lose an eye or something, especially if I said I like a foil and then but please send your tips. Totally. Okay. Yeah, no, my, my buddy, he, he, you know, he's looking for a new foil and I was like, oh yeah, the, the, the Kajira is pretty, you know, hot foil right now. Everybody's psyching on good. it. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know, dude, I wouldn't buy it because of those wingtips. Like if I were to get it, I'd completely sand it down. And, you know, he listened to me, but he didn't really like, I don't think he really realized what I meant. And Did you feel yeah, it? Have you felt out. the tips on it? It's like a knife. Oh my God, they're, they're just messed up. Yeah, like yeah. if you just take a watermelon and just like slam it on that wingtip, like that wingtip would just be so deep in that watermelon. You know, the yeah. watermelon being your head. Yep, and, um, I've seen those you know, pictures. He went out, oh, don't even tell me. Yeah, he went yeah. out the other, the other weekend, he hit some turbulence. The board flipped over, just completely cut his suit open. Like his belly, you know, got all red, a good scratch mark. And he's like, Oh my God, dude, I'm, 
I'm totally sending those. I had to say it. I was like, dude, I, I told you, like sing them right down. <laughs> My, the foil I'm, I'm on right now had some wingtips and I sanded those right off, smoothed out the edge and I cannot tell any difference. What do you want? I am, I'm lucky enough to have two different setups. I have a Cloud9 F28. Cool. So I ride that kind of with straps and, you know, that's kind of like the more surfboard, surfer, shortboard, feeling board. Yep. And then I have a Lift 170 that I ride strapless and just <clears throat> see how long I can go for. And that's going to be the board I try to do more downwinders with. What has and, tips um, on those? You just mean just the wing tips are sharp? Yeah, yeah. The wing the wing tips can be sharp. They're not like anything close to the Kajira, but like, you know, there's like the mil- the millimeter at the end where they like kind of yeah. go up and then they really pinch on that tight corner. I kind of just sanded those off and I really can't notice the difference. And I'm I'm so scared of that stuff. You know, I wear a helmet when I go out and I mean, it's hey, it's cold in California. It keeps you warm, it keeps the sun off your head. Yeah. Got a little visor. Just embrace the kookiness, you know? I wore a helmet for a while. And then I started getting a lot of foiling head slaps. For what? No, for foiling. I wore a, no, I just in normal everyday life I wear a helmet sometimes. Oh. <laughs> just walking around. No, I mean all those sur- all, a lot of surfers are starting to wear them in like pipeline and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I wore one in foiling. And then I stopped wearing it when I was falling at speed and just kind of getting mm-hmm. either neck cranks or brain slaps and I w- wasn't hit. So I, there's risk both ways, but I figure I have that fall where I kind of get the head slap and it, it yeah. kind of rattles my brain a lot more often than I've hit my knock on wood, hit my head on the foil. So Totally. No, I agree. And yeah, anybody who's listening, I second that. Like if you want a full uh, helmet, you know, for when you're doing, I guess, critical stuff or, you know, that foil could come at you. But the second you're going really fast, that helmet's just basically making your head larger. So it's not right. going to puncture the water as easy and it's making it more floatable. So I don't think it's going to help you from a concussion at all. It's probably going to break your neck. Yeah, there, there is definitely, you know, some, you got to think about when you're going to wear your helmet. Absolutely. Yeah. Ben Fernie, who was on the show recently, who is the air chair record holder i believe still epic podcast if you didn't listen to that one go back and do it everybody but he we had a good helmet conversation because he explored he has to wear helmets with what he was doing hitting the water totally 50 miles an hour and he has some epic wipeout stories on that show but he found a helmet that had enough padding to where it actually helped from a concussion standpoint but when you're hitting the water 50 miles an hour you're not penetrating no matter what so it's about cushioning yeah, totally, totally. That's awesome. So you got the cloud set up. You've got the Lift 170 set up. How's that cloud mm-hmm. ride? I haven't ever been on one. I'd like to. Oh, they're epic. I love it. Yeah, no, I'm, I can pump the 28 really good. Turning, it's just like, oh my gosh, you just look where you want to go and it goes. You just You can just manhandle that thing so freaking hard. It's not like... Okay, so I love the 170, you got me wrong, but you know, for example, the 170, it's like that wing kind of has a mind of its own. <laughs> for sure. You're kind of going straight and you don't see any reason it would get bumpy. And then all of a sudden it kind of tries to eat itself. And you know, same thing when you turn it, it's kind of wobbly, but you know, obviously they're totally different wings, but you know, that 28, I've just never felt like it's gonna, it's doing anything other than what I want it to. I just completely crunch up, push all my weight in a turn and just fly right through it can you know pump out to the next wave on it i'm really trying to try the 
24, the, that's the uh, wavelength, or sorry, the uh, wingspan of their mm-hmm. smaller wing. And then the 26 inch mast and try to be a flu to coop kind of rider. He's, he's, <laughs> he's crushing he's it. killing it. Yeah. I think that shorter mast is, uh, it's got to help the air game. You know, I'm just trying to start landing airs right now. And, you know, being on a 30 inch mast, being five feet, nine inches tall, and then going two feet high. I mean, your eyes are, you know, sometimes getting up to 10, 12 feet above the water. And I definitely appreciate a shorter mass sometimes. I haven't gotten into it yet. I'm going too soon. I've got a beautiful yeah, set what, of straps what one by one. On? What have I been? What, why haven't you gotten into straps yet? Because there's still some things that I'm trying to get better at. I, I love okay. the like feel and aesthetic of mm-hmm. like beautiful carving on foil. Yeah. And I think it's timeless. And it's something I really want to, that's what I want to start. That's what I want my foundation in foiling to be is something like really smooth and efficient and aggressive Mm -hmm. in the strapless game. And then once I feel like I've gotten that down, then I'll probably get into the air game a lot more. And I've started really trying to get aggressive and hitting white water unstrapped. Oh, I've noticed your, (laughs) the stuff you've been posting. Yeah. It's really funny, you know, like in some of your older episodes, you're talking about like how to surf and, you know, the people you interview, you're like, oh my gosh, like you're so good. I'll never be as good as you kind of thing. And I, I don't know if you've realized that you're kind of one of the good guys now. You're definitely up there with the pack as far as doing critical turns and oh, thanks, hitting man. sick lines. It's pretty, pretty insane. I appreciate that. I've been working hard, you know, oh, um, for sure, but uh, it's so much fun. It's like the whole thing that I'm geeking out on right now is (laughs) getting loose in the foam and just kind of how far you can get that slide. And, (laughs) you know, it's really cool. I've been riding really small boards and I've just gone back to a bigger board and riding that JS and it's got drawbacks in some places, you know, the (laughs) touch points, you can't lay down the same carves because it's just more board and Mm -hmm. it doesn't like to when you're pumping, it'll get sticky. If you hit my board that I ride normally skips real good but it's so much better in the foam. And that's kind of what I'm working on right now. And the grip pads, like they money those grip pads. It just feels like you're kind of locked in and then it's wider. So you feel like there's just all the safety around you. At least that's what it feels like coming from the boards I've Absolutely. been riding. No, I agree. I'm on a KT and it's got the kind of scooped out yeah. deck. And that just makes the biggest difference. You, It just feels so good. What size? So I actually went 4.8. The board was 4. 4.0 at 36 liters and you know i'm young i can paddle but at the same time i'm like i want to save my back so i just wanted something with a little bit more length you know kai lenny is kind of about my size so i was like i'll try to get a 4.6 but kt only makes the 4.4 and the 4.8 and i was like screw it i'm gonna save my back um 4.8 it pumps good I, you know i think you get a little bit more torque with the longer board so in those aggressive pumps it might actually help Long distance, not so much, but like that really short, you know, burst of pumping. I think it might actually be better. It's the weirdest thing. I think it has a lot to do with mass placement. You can get the weight working for you if you put your mass far enough forward to where, you know, if you're tail heavy on the balance, then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it, it helps you um, stay up a little bit. Oh, are, yeah, you playing absolutely. With, are you playing with base plate shims? That's what I've been geek- geeking out on now for the last few weeks. 
Oh, I'd love to, but now I haven't. I, I wouldn't even know where to start. <laughs> what have you been writing? I made one. I have the Takuma shim and I have the wizard hat shim. And they're all kind of like a millimeter bigger than the next. And I started off just on the Takuma because they messed up the mask position somehow. And it's just so much better with the shim. And then I started just trying other foils with it. And it just seems like a little bit of extra angle of attack on the foil. lets you ride less tail shim. It turns a little bit more aggressively. And then I find that the pump, the way that I, I think I just said this on the last show, of course, I'll be real quick with it, but the angle of attack of the base plate shim pushes the nose down a little bit. So it's almost like giving you more of a pedestal to jump forward, like, like you're on mm -hmm. a swimming starting block. So instead totally. of it being flat, it's almost angled forward and, and you want your pumps to be like really driving forward. And Absolutely. so it seems like it really helps that I, I feel like today's the first time I've gone too far. I was riding the uni 190 with the mm -hmm. biggest shim that I have all the way forward in the blocks with tail shim. And it's the first time I've ever been foiling in a small surf where my front leg burned out and my back leg was fine. It was just so much to push down when I was pumping really <laughs> slow. It turned incredible though. It's kind of tough to give up that turning, but I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. unshim the tail and keep the big base plate shim in for my next session. Totally. What were you saying on the last podcast about like loose front wing bolts or something like that? Oh, I had just, I had a setup where I went out and my front wing was loose and I didn't realize it. And it was the Takuma 1210. And that mm. wing rolls over pretty good, but it's still a mm. wide, it's a wide wing. And with the looser bolts in the front, so a little bit of play in that front wing, I was able to crank turns and roll it much harder because I think what happens is I was able to initiate the board and get leverage on it oh, before, wow. the, before the wing would come around. It killed the mm -hmm. pump. But I think that there's some, totally. and actually, it's funny because I said that on the show and then had folks sending me ideas and <laughs> posting some homemade like ways to do that. It was pretty cool. Yeah, totally. I think something will be done, you know, along those lines for a surf foil, at least, you know, pumping, it's, you're just losing so much energy, but tons, I think, yeah, it's, it, there's going to be something to it for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's rad. What do you geek out on? Like, so let's talk the lift 170 and mm -hmm. the efficiency of that foil. Where do you think the magic comes from? Oh my gosh, that, that wing is just a joke. I, I think I got a ride for like five minutes today. Like, and I wasn't even going downwind or anything. I was just in the surf zone. I don't really know foils too much. I, you know, I got a, this one foil book. So, you know, I've been reading, you know, there's some cool equations, some good theory. I guess it's probably just how thin it is, you know, that it's really, it's not thick at all that, that 170 and, you know, it's pretty good high aspect um, ratio. I have a, you, that reminded me, I have a quick comment about high, the aspect ratio thing. So everybody who's listening, when you hear aspect ratio, just think of it as how much, how many wings would fit in the max area of the wingspan. So basically aspect ratio is the wingspan squared divided by the surface area. So the wingspan squared would be an actual square, which is the max amount of volume that could be made. And the, the you know, the projected surface area is how many would fit inside that max one. So the, I think the lift 170 is close to like eight or something like that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, you know, an eighth of 
the max area that it could have had with that same wingspan. So when you hear aspect ratio, just think of it, it's a rate, it, it's, you know, it's on a spectrum. There's not that there's no such thing as high aspect ratio. Oof, I'm going to get a lot of crap for saying that. But, you know, it's on a spectrum and it's really just saying how much of a square it is. Right. That's I think it's got to be it. a little different in water versus in what we're doing. I don't think we're ever going to see popular true high aspect. But I say that in the lift 120, I think comes pretty darn close and people are frothing on it. Yeah, totally. I actually, uh, I just ordered one actually. Yeah. I was with, uh, I was with Cal this morning. Yeah. And, you know, he's got his hands on one because he's all in the, the foil and magazine world and everybody just sends him everything, I guess. And uh, yeah, he was, oh my God, it was ridiculous how fast he was going and how aggressive his turns were. Like every single turn he was doing, it was like half the wingtip was coming out of the water. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> It just didn't even It's care. like he's surfing the, yeah, he's like surfing the 170, but just totally able to just, you know, turn it like a shortboard. So smooth, so cool. That's unreal. Yeah, I thought I had one coming yeah. and then didn't come. I'm on the surfing the, the new 200 V2, which is good. Mm. But I think the 120 is going to be better for what I do. Yeah, totally. That's the cool thing about Lyft. You know, they got, they made so much money off of their, their e-foils, you know, they have so much capital. They're such a big brand. They have so much possibility to really invent stuff and everything. So yeah, makes sense. They're producing these really cool foils and stuff and probably, you know, for the future, they're going to be a leading brand. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the podcast with Nick was great. You know, I walk away from shows with designers generally with a feel of whether or not I'm going to buy their stuff in the future. And <laughs> after talking to Nick, I think I'd buy any of his stuff. I mean, he just has so much passion oh, and insight, but he's also just has a lot of passion for it too. Totally. Absolutely. You know, it's very cool. Yeah. That, uh, that downwind video that they posted about the 170, like last summer, you don't know how many times I've watched that and just been like, Oh my God, I need to do that. <laughs> uh, such, such a good video they put together. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anything about the wave dynamics that we have not gone through yet? Or do we kind of cover it all? That was great. I'm still reeling off that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was, there's a lot to talk about. I kind of just went through, you know, the books I've been reading and, you know, jotted down a few, you know, important parts. Basically, you know, waves get generated, they move, they get to the shore, they go slower, they uh, bunch up. Numerous things can happen. Really try to keep those particle velocities in mind, you know, that really gets you the, I think, you know, for today, at least that's, that's basically everything I wanted to mention. Maybe, you know, listen to this podcast to the listeners. That is, you know, listen to this podcast, a couple, I remember reading about a lot of this stuff and just, it kind of went in one ear out the other. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, sure. But, you know, as the years have gone on, it, it's really stuck with me. And, you know, every time you hear it, you learn more and more. And there's heaps of resources to learn about this kind of stuff. Surfline, believe it or not, Surfline actually has a really good book that explains basically everything I talked about today at a really introductory level. You don't really need to know any math. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So, send me the link really to that when we get off. I, I would love to, I'll, I'll pick that book up and it can sit next to my Theory of Wing sections book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'll learn it. You'll learn a ton. So yeah, I, I think that was basically appropriate for today's conversation. I hope you guys learned something. 
I'm really appreciative that you came on and shared this with us. It's quite cool. Love it. <laughs> yeah, man. We should do it again in, I don't know, six months, something like that, as all of these, as everyone digests this show and you've spent more time downwinding. And so I'm sure that we can have a kind of more, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Conversation that's more applicable. There we go. Mm-hmm. You know, this one has been great, but I think that when I take this into the ocean for a few months and really digest it as I'm watching things, I think that it's going to be kind of eye-opening as how energy gets organized and works. That's what I see the benefit of this is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Like I said, you know, this is all stuff. If you've been serving for 30 years, you've seen it, but just, you know, maybe it's fun to, you know, here it's been verified in a textbook. And that thing you said about Kalama jumping from the back of the swell to the front is just that is just ridiculous. That's, that is so cool. I can't believe he caught on to that. Yeah. 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 I'll have him uh, listen to this one before, before he comes back on again, it's going to happen here pretty soon. We were talking the other day. So. Uh, Good stuff. Oh, wait, uh, yeah, send cool. a message to him. This is uh, not, I'm not trying to critique him too much, but he came on the show and he said something about like making a, uh, a plane of wood where he pulled up on the water and it sucked. Is that one of his experiments? A plane of wood that he pulled up on the water? What do you, I don't... Yeah. I, I think he was like... There's a conversation about like the double barrel concave versus like a flat bottom deck. Yep. And he was saying, oh, it's going to be sticky because I did this experiment, right? Mm-hmm. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. So basically, criti- I'm kind of criticizing his experiment because when you're foiling, you're moving. You're not just stationary. So tell him to uh, ask him nicely. Mr. Kwama, <laughs> to do an experiment with. Oh, I'll leave this in so we can hear it. He can be mad at you about it. <laughs> okay, so uh, take the piece of wood that you're using and do one with a double barrel concave as well and move your hands, you know, so you have speed just like you would in a surfboard, not just a straight vertical movement. Like, of course, that's going to be sticky, but maybe if you're moving forward, you know, the concave will like suck in the air. Just a theory. I don't know. Lots of people talk about that experiment. like in the area and mm-hmm. they're all getting flat boards not that i'm like for or against that but i'm critical of that experiment and i'd like to know what he thinks <laughs> that's interesting so everything that i've tested and i've tested a lot of boards i have found that slight v and chines is the best for skipping and a thin nose mm-hmm. and so that you can puncture and then the rocker will pop you back up and i have a lot of like slow motion footage of kind of different boards doing that. And I know the JS that I'm riding right now, I mean, it's a fantastic board. It's downside is that when you touch and it's got a slight double barrel, the downside is when you touch, when you're pumping, it's brakes. And the other day I went over the handlebars on something that I'm like board I normally ride would have just skipped off. And it's always a, a trade, you know, like the trade for the board that I normally ride is that it's not that good in the foam. I'm trying to figure out right now, like, how you can incorporate that good tracking in the foam and that edge bottom board design like that JS, but with something that's going to skip really good in the pumping. Cause that's, that would be the, like, if I can merge those two boards together, maybe it's as simple as taking the front off of one and the back off of the other. Although I don't yeah, know how absolutely. far that edge might make a difference past like near your front foot though, is my thought. Um, yeah for sure enough research design test evaluation you'll figure it out (laughs) yeah yeah time and money 
Yep. <laughs> Matt, dude, thank you for coming on and, and, you know, sharing all this knowledge with everyone. Very cool. And oh, so what's your Instagram? How do people follow you? How do they support you? Yeah, I have an Instagram. I've, I've basically just been like, I'm slowly turning into a foiled again guy. I just post all this stuff. I, I kind of post a bunch of crap, but underscore coast, you know, sometimes you just have a few brewskins at night and you just see all these foil memes and you just want to share them with the rest of the world. So they're hilarious, <laughs> right? Oh, so they're good. so good. But yeah, that's basically it. What's your handle? At Matt underscore coast, C-O-A-S-T. Okay, Matt underscore coast. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to leave folks with? Bring back localism. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I guess that so. was the takeaway <laughs> from the podcast. Nah, I, that, 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 that did go through my head. I, I, again, yeah, I don't think it's too bad. Maybe get constructive with it. Just keep good vibes. Always try to keep learning. You know, that's what's cool about the foil group. You know, every, everybody's just excited to learn and learn. That's basically it. Don't be scared of scraps. Get to bug foiling. Nobody's bug foiling. Riding your, uh, riding absolutely prone for the whole length of the wave. You can really lean over super hard on rail without the fear of getting bucked. And you can just go for the craziest airs. You can make crazy drops. You know, the boogie foil guy, Thor, he paddled out a pipeline on his foil and he's, if you think about it, you know, you're on a foil, you have a two foot long mast. This, I hope this blows your mind because it blew my mind when I thought about it. You're on a two foot long mast. That means you have two feet to avoid an airdrop. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. you know, your normal surfing, it's like, you can't beat that airdrop, but this, you have two feet, you know, to cheat with. And then all you do is keep your weight forward and you're magically just a million miles, you know, down the line. That's really interesting. Foils are going to be the future yeah, so. of big, heavy waves. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely hit me. And it's like, it's kind of pissing me off because I got into foiling just thinking I'm going to, you know, just pump around in circles at the harbor. And now I'm seeing how surfable they are. And, you know, I've told myself this whole time, I'm not going to get barreled. And now I just keep seeing heavy barreling waves. And I'm like, crap, like I'm probably going to go for it one of these days, you know, just like Matahi did, you know, he did it on the bogey first. and next thing he stood up and i i think people will be paddling into tubes sometime down the line as scary as that sounds and i don't really want it to happen golly just better duck dive deep if you're on that wave someone coming at you <laughs> yeah but yeah that's basically it um hope i didn't ramble too much hope you guys learned yeah. something thanks for having me this was epic thank you matt all right see you soon